The following audio is from the Summer in the Psalms series, delivered to the Axis Church in downtown Nashville. As we continue our Summer in the Psalms series, I have the privilege of preaching on Psalm 46, which sets before us the powerful truth that God is the true refuge, fortress, and hiding place in a world that is in constant turmoil. If you don't have a Bible, I would encourage you to grab one from underneath you are the seat in front of you. Also grab a psalm card, which has been made, so you can take notes and refer back to it at a later time. As we look to Psalm 46 for encouragement, peace, stability, and to be reminded of where our true hope and safety should reside, the year that was 2020 easily comes to mind, and the challenges that came with it. From the tornado last March, the pandemic, social, racial, and political unrest due to the killing of George Floyd, the divisive election, and then to the bombing in downtown Nashville on Christmas Day last year. But not just 20, not just 2020, so many of us in this very room are going through great hardship right now, experiencing the storms of life, loss of a job, lifelong and new illness, a sick child, miscarriage, marital conflict, anxiety, depression, battling addiction, the heartbreak of a relationship that's ended. These are just some of what our own family here at the Axis are experiencing as we speak. I want to take a moment to say, I am sorry. I grieve with you and I'm praying for you. But listen to me, you are not alone in your pain. God has not forgotten you. Your church family loves you and is seeking God with and for you. So I encourage you to hold on. Good news from God's word is on the way. Sustaining news, life-giving news, And I'm so glad you're here this morning. It probably took a lot of courage to say, I'm going to be with God's people on the Lord's day. My prayer is that God meets you today and encourages you to keep pressing on in the strength of God. As we look at these events and live through these seasons of immense trial, we may be tempted to be full of anxiety, fear, and maybe even complete hopelessness. We ask ourselves, is there a safe place to run to? Is there a refuge that can sustain me through the difficult seasons of life? Let's get a sample of what's to come straight from the top. Yes, there is a refuge, a place of safety available to us right now. It's in a person and his name is Jesus Christ. Indeed, in Christ, there is a refuge that is constant stable and more than able to keep us in perfect peace no matter what may come our way. Please pray with me. Lord God, we come before you this morning in desperation, needing to hear from you. We bring to the table only neediness and brokenness. Our life is often filled with turmoil 
and we are often moved into a state of fear. It's a debilitating fear that robs us of the joy and peace you have for us. The effects of sin are all around us and within our own hearts. We long for safety, Father. We long for a hiding place where we can have true peace in spite of our circumstances. Even now, as I begin to preach this passage, I'm in need to know this peace more deeply myself. Speak to us. Speak to me, your children, through your word. Remind us of your promises and lead us to your son, Jesus, who makes this refuge possible for us today. Move my inadequacies out of your way and speak to us, your people. In the name of Christ, we pray. Amen. So as Pastor Derek and Brother Daniel previously mentioned, the Psalms are a collection of poetry penned by various writers, including Moses, Solomon, and many others. Most notably, King David, who wrote at least 75 of the 150 Psalms. The various psalmists were writing under divine inspiration as they told of their real-life experiences and troubles, trials, triumphs, complaints, confidence, prayers, and praises to God. In this psalm, we see Jerusalem, which is also known as Zion, being celebrated as God's chosen city, his holy habitation. Here, we see a confidence in God as protector of his people. The city of Jerusalem itself represents God's chosen people, chosen place, and his people represent his chosen people. As we start to look at Psalm 46, we are given a small introduction before verse 1. It reads, To the choir master of the sons of Korah, according to Alameth, a song. Now the author of this psalm is unknown, but we know was performed by the sons of Korah. The sons of Korah were Levites and lead musicians in the tabernacle and later in the temple. This small clerical note was directed to the choir master who directed both the sons of Korah, who performed the music for the psalm, and Alameth, which is believed to be a reference to a group of female singers who sang this psalm in a higher register. The psalm was divided into two sections or stanzas with one reprise, each ending in the word selah. The phrase selah is given to give pause or a moment to reflect on what was just read. All right, let's get to work. Psalm 46, verse 1. God is our refuge and strength, a very present help in trouble. Therefore, we will not fear, though the earth gives way, though the mountains be moved into the heart of the sea, though its waters roar and foam, though the mountains tremble at its swelling. There is a river whose streams make glad the city of God, the holy habitation of the Most High. God is in the midst of her. She shall not be moved. God will help her when morning dawns. The nations rage. The kingdoms totter. He utters his voice. The earth melts. The Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. Come, behold the works of the Lord, how he has brought desolations on the earth. He makes war cease to the end of the earth. He breaks the bow and shatters the spear. He burns the chariots with fire. Be still and know that I am God. 
I will be exalted among the nations. I will be exalted in the earth. The Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. Right out of the gate, the psalmist gives us a strong proclamation of where our trust and safety should reside. In God alone, we find refuge. God is the source of our strength. Israel was to know this truth and proclaim it. They were to be confident and fully trusting in God. God alone is where their hope would come from. Not the strength of her army, political power or physical defenses, but God alone. These things could all fail, but their God would not fail. Moving on in verse 1, it reads, He is a very present help in trouble. So not only is the Lord a refuge and strength, but he walks alongside his people in tribulation. He is not just close as one would be if they were in a neighboring city or region, but intimately near, right there with his people, eager to extend help. He is present and active. King David latched on to this reality in the 16th Psalm. He said, I have set the Lord continually before me. Because he is at my right hand, I will not be shaken. David was aware of, God's, of God always being close to him. And because of this truth, David knew that he would not be shaken. Verse 2 reads, therefore, we will not fear though the earth gives way, though the mountains be moved into the heart of the sea. Now, whenever you see the word therefore, it is an opportunity to respond to what we've just read in the text. It's a, it's a way of saying, because of this, I will respond in this way. So in light of knowing that God is our refuge and strength and knowing that God is ever present with us, we will not fear. This statement is of one of applying God's truth to our circumstance. Because the truth is, in our brokenness, we often are consumed with fear. But fear is not from God. Believer, the word tells us in 2 Timothy 1.7, I love how the King James reads on this, that the Lord has not given us a spirit of fear, but a power, love, and a sound mind. Consider the last phrase, a sound mind. We can do some crazy and rash things when we are operating in a spirit of fear. A sound mind is one that is confident in God and is able to operate as such with poise, clarity of thought, and focus. This comes from God. Let's continue in verse 2 and 3. Though the earth gives way, though the mountains be moved into the heart of the sea, though its waters roar and foam, though the mountains tremble at its swelling. This passage is apocalyptic in tone, meant to convey the worst of circumstances one could imagine. See, mountains are not known to be movable. In fact, we see them as completely immovable objects that are stable as stable can be. One might even say that we can trust that they will always be. So imagine how shaking this site would be. 
something that you put trust in as always being constant is failing in front of you. Something that you imagine will always be there is falling in front of you. The thing is, we do this all the time. We get a sense of false security in things that we believe can never be shaken. Even if just subconsciously. Perhaps it's the amount of money we have in our 401k, the amount of money we have in our bank account, the quality of our health, our education level, our social status, our ability level in a certain talent or field. Where do we find ourselves running to to find refuge from the storms of life that we believe will protect us? They will fail us. They do fail us, and they will time and time again. Where then should our hope reside? We see Selah in the passage moving forward. So we're given a moment to pause and reflect with what we've just read. It's as if verse 2 and 3 were yelling at us at the top of their lungs, building a terrible tension and tempting us to despair at what we've read and what we've heard. Then we are given pause. Look what happens in verse 4. There is a river whose streams make glad the city of God, the holy habitation of the Most High. Note the contrast. The scene shifts from one of calamity and chaos to one of almost serenity. Unlike the raging seas that tossed violently, the picture we have here is a river that is calm, steady, and brings life-giving water to all those who drink from it. See, this river flows from heaven, from God himself, to the people of God, to the holy city of Jerusalem. What made Jerusalem holy was that God dwelt there amongst his people. The Lord made it his habitation. In the midst of tribulation and threat, there was steady provision that would not fail. It would sustain. Under his provisional grace, the people are kept and in response are made glad because of this. The provisional stream of this river was available at the same time of the, as the chaotic events of verses 2 and 3. As the earth travails, there is refuge in God because of God's mercies upon his children. This is grace. Verse 5 reads, God is in the midst of her. She shall not be moved. God will help her when morning dawns. God remains present with his people at all times. That includes times of trial, pain, persecution, and whatever else may come. He is present and tending to the needs of his people in all circumstances. This is chiefly for his glory, but also for our good. So if God resides with his people, who will move us? What force of nature or calamity will separate us from his loving protection? The answer is no one will. The dawn of the morning represents the coming of a new day. 
even, at the, even as the night is at its darkest, we can be rest assured that his help will be freshly available to us every morning. Believer, this promise of refuge is made yours through the finished work of Jesus in his life, death, resurrection, which brought us victory over sin and death. With his ascension and the ascending of the Holy Spirit, the power of God now resides in the heart of every believer. God himself takes residence in our heart. So the same power that kept the children of Israel in perfect peace is ours. In him, we will not be moved because our God cannot be moved. Let's consider the words of the Apostle Paul in Romans 8, 31 and 32. It reads, if God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for, uh, for us all, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? Verse 6 reads, the nations, the nations rage, the kingdoms totter, he utters his voice, the earth melts. So now we see the psalmist shifting from natural calamities to the threat from outside nations and to those seeking to invade Jerusalem. See, Israel was used to being threatened by opposing armies. It was a reality of life for them. These were real threats, but Israel was encouraged. No, Israel was commanded to trust God and his ability to protect his holy city. Outside threats would be made. Nations would be immersed in conflict. Empires would rise and fall, but as powerful as these forces were, at the mere speaking of his voice, they would be wasted away. This is meant to convey that doing this is not a challenge in any way to an almighty and powerful God. No force is able to stand against him. He easily can make ruin of all who oppose him. Here again, we see a huge contrast between the schemes and plans of nations with their might and building up of forces and armies against the simple utterance of God to speak into a situation and immediately his command is done. All things, both in nature and in men's devices, will be made obedient to God's will and plan. All things. So you can trust God with whatever you're facing. He is sovereign over all, not some, all events of your life. Verse 7 reads, the Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. We are reminded of the power of God. We are given the opportunity to consider his might and all surpassing strength. The Lord of the angelic forces of heaven, our host, fights on the side of his people. In fact, the same God who was an everlasting covenant with our forefather Jacob is the same God who would protect and give refuge to the children of Israel now. The verse reads that God of Jacob, the God of Jacob is our fortress. One of the definitions of the term fortress is defined as a military stronghold, especially a strongly fortified town. While fitting, the definition I find more applicable to this situation is a person or thing that is not susceptible to outside influence 
our disturbance. The people will not be moved because their God is an immovable fortress where they can seek shelter. This is the fortress that is found in Yahweh, the God of the Bible. Church, we have to grasp this if we are going to be able to endure the seasons of life that are often before us. As I mentioned earlier, we are quick to try to find a place of security, a refuge, and places and things that will fail us. My prayer for you and I is that we will find security in the one place where it can be obtained in God. See, Jesus himself knew the importance of being in God's presence and how that would sustain him in the midst of trials. Look at John 16, 32 and 33. Behold, the hour is coming, indeed it has come, when you will be scattered each to his own home and will leave me alone. Yet I am not alone, for the Father is with me. I have said these things to you that in me you may have peace. In the world you will have tribulation, but take heart. I have overcome the world. Jesus was telling his disciples that they would scatter at the time of his arrest, trial, and death in their fear. He would be abandoned by them. But he knew that he wasn't alone because his father would be there with him. Even Jesus, who was fully God, in his humanity was also fully man. And he knew the importance of being in his father's presence. Christian, it is a mercy of God to allow us to come to the end of ourselves. It is a mercy of God when he lovingly removes from us those things that we have put false hope in. They will not satisfy. We know they won't satisfy, but we run back time and time again. Yes, it's often a painful process. It's uncomfortable. It hurts, but it's mercy nonetheless. It's Jesus redirecting our gaze towards him. It's Jesus turning our eyes away from whatever else we're looking at to him for what we thought could be found somewhere else. See, walking with him in this manner increases our confidence in him and produces a testimony. It makes Jesus look really good because he is good. Walking with him, walking with Jesus through trials and tribulations and seeing that he is enough, experiencing his sustaining power, you will sing with hard one confidence on Christ the solid rock I stand. All of the ground is sinking sand. The 46th Psalm inspired Martin Luther, the great reformer, to pen the classic hymn, A Mighty Fortress is Our God. I love the second stanza of this hymn. It reads, did we in our own strength confide? Our striving would be losing. We're not the right man on our side, the man of God's own choosing. Do you ask who that may be? Christ Jesus, it is he. Lord Sabbath, his name, from age to age the same, and he must, he will, win the battle. Church, we have victory through Jesus because he has overcome 
and will be victorious over all. Let's keep moving. Verse 8 reads, Come, behold the works of the Lord, how he has brought desolations on the earth. Here in verse 8, we are told to come and examine what God has already done. Israel was to remember how God had repeatedly given them victory and brought desolations to those who sought to bring ruin to them. They were to think deeply and ponder his past faithfulness and their position as God's chosen people. We are to do the same thing. We are to remember what God has already done for us, what battles he has fought in our lives, how he has given us victory over situations that without his intervention would have consumed us. But most importantly, we are to remember what Jesus Christ has accomplished. Through his atoning work, believers have the forgiveness of our sins, adoption into the family of God, and we will spend eternity with God forevermore. Church, think deeply on the cross. Behold the works of the Lord. Verse 9 reads, He makes war cease to the end of the earth. He breaks the bow and shatters the spear. He burns the chariots with fire. Man's weapon of warfare are no match for God. At the mere speaking of his voice, their perceived strength is laid low. Under his sovereign hand, he has the power to destroy man's ability to make war and cause us wars to cease by his will alone. Israel had seen this power fighting on behalf of their cause. Again, this was an opportunity to remember the mighty hand of God who had delivered them from their enemies. What we see over and over again in this psalm is the strong hand of the Lord protecting his people. His might on full display. Church, God is our refuge. As children of the new covenant, these promises are ours. So in light of what we've read, what should be the position of our hearts? How do we respond to his majestic power? Verse 10 tells us how we respond. Be still and know that I am God. I will be exalted among the nations. I will be exalted in the earth. The Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. We are told to be still and to be fully confident in our sovereign God. But this is not a stillness as one would be if asleep, perhaps, but this is a rest from fear, anxiety, fretting, and worry. This is a restful trust in a loving God who will keep his people no matter what may come. This is a call to rest, but this is also a call to worship. It's a call to make much of the name of God in response to what he has already done and will continue to do. Even as the enemy taunts us in our circumstances and may try to tempt us to remove our trust in God's sovereignty and love, we are to rest confident in the hands of a loving God who is working all things together for our good and who will be completely victorious over the enemies of our soul. God's name will be exalted among the nations. His name will be exalted in the entire earth. 
What makes these promises true for you and I today? By what means can we hold on to the promises of God to have a refuge, a hiding place, a place where the enemy cannot advance? Christ makes this possible. Because the truth is, in our condition of sin and rebellion towards God, we have no hope. Apart from the finished work of Christ on the cross, we remain enemies of God. So the same destructive power that was against the enemies of Israel is what lies before us apart from God's intervention. But the good news is God intervened. Christ came. The word tells us in John 3, 16, for God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. His death burial, and resurrection made it possible for us to have a refuge in God by Jesus being our sin covering. So now when God sees us, he doesn't see our sin. Instead, he sees the perfect obedience of his son, Jesus Christ. In the new covenant, God now resides in the hearts of his children by the indwelling of the Holy Spirit, the very spirit of the true and living God. My friends, Fix your eyes upon Jesus, who is the author and perfecter of our faith. If you want to experience true peace, cry out to the one who gives it in abundance. Philippians 4, 7 says, And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. In the fortress of God's protection, there is abundant peace. A peace that was purchased for us through the finished work of the Son. Jesus has accomplished it. Perhaps you are here today and this is not true of you. You wish it was true. You wish you could say amen to these things. Perhaps like me, at times, you find yourself struggling to believe that Jesus is enough. Friends, please listen. Jesus' response to you in your struggle is not, why don't you get this? It's not anger. It's not condemnation. Conviction, yes. Conviction leads to repentance. Condemnation leads to shame. You are not condemned. You are extended an invitation to taste and see that the Lord is good. I imagine Jesus embracing our face between his hands, redirecting our gaze to whatever else we were looking at and saying, my child, son, Daughter, keep your eyes on me. Seek safety in the fortress that I provide. But Lord, you don't know what I'm going through. It's raining very hard. The storm is loud. The waves are big. It hurts. It's painful. I know, my child, but you keep your eyes on me, and I will be your mighty fortress, your bulwark, your fortress, your hiding place, your defensive wall that will never fail. Perhaps you're here this morning and you believe these things intellectually but are struggling to believe them in your heart. Grace is available too. Cry out to God, Lord, I believe, help me in my unbelief. Christian, stay within the protection of the fortress. 
if you do not believe this morning, are skeptical, searching, ask God for the faith to believe. Do you notice a theme? You can't outrun God's grace. He can come to you, whatever station you are in in life. Cry out to God. The Bible tells us in Psalm 51, 17, that a broken and contrite heart, a truly repentant heart, oh God, you will not despise. Run into the mighty fortress of God. Lay yourself at the feet of the cross. Mercy and grace are available to you, and you will not be turned away. Come inside the fortress, and you will find safety for your soul within. Church, we now have the opportunity to respond to what we've heard by the taking of communion. Jesus instructed us to partake of this holy sacrament in remembrance of his sacrifice on the cross. We must always keep the cross before us, for this is where our salvation was purchased. The bread represents the body that was broken for us. The wine or juice represents the blood that was shed for the remission of our sin. As you dip the bread into the juice, you will see it absorb the liquid. In this way, the Son absorbed the full wrath of God's righteous anger as he took the sins of the world upon himself. Your sins, my sins. This is grace. This is unmerited favor. This is mercy. If you are here and not a Christian today, I pray you observe this family meal and pray. Ask God to save you right now. Today could be your first communion as a Christian, a member of God's family, adopted and made a co-heir with Christ. We would love to celebrate that moment with you. We have two communion lines in front. We also have a self-serve station in the back right. We'll have members of staff willing and ready to pray for you in the back. Reach out to them if you want a team lift from your church family. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for your word. And thank you for the truth that you have given us that we have a refuge that is constant and stable in you. We ask you, Father, to deposit this deep into our hearts. May we not forget that you have loved us, love us, and desire to know us. You desire for us to know that we have refuge in you despite our circumstances and that you are sovereign, working all things together for our good. Lord, keep our eyes fixated on Jesus who purchased our salvation on the cross. May we never stop being amazed by what was done for us on that tree. And Father, I pray that if someone in this room does not know you, that you will save them. Give them faith to believe. Remove the heart of stone, replace it with a heart of flesh that's beating and living. Father, do this for your glory and do this for their good and for the good of the church. We love you, Lord. Thank you for being God. Thank you for being on the throne. Bless this time. In Jesus' name, amen. Come when you're ready. You've been listening to audio from the Summer in the Psalms series from the Axis Church in downtown Nashville. To learn more, visit theaxischurch.com. 
www.ghanaspeaks.org.